Good evening and welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and it's so great to have you on this Monday evening. And what a great, great, great show we have for you. In about 15 minutes, that's 15 minutes from now, we're going to have former Major League pitcher Mark Leiter is going to be joining us live. Talk about his career and about a a number of different baseball topics. So you all definitely want to tune in for that. Also later in the show, we're going to reveal who some of our upcoming guests are the next couple of nights here on Frankly Speaking Sports. But we start out with baseball. And today in the show, we're going to be talking some baseball. Later on in the show, we'll be talking about uh, the acquisition for the Patriots, Cam Newton. We'll also be talking about uh, a little camaraderie between uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. So lots and lots to get with you tonight. So let's start out with Major League Baseball. Beginning of Major League Baseball, they announced that the Washington Nationals will be playing the New York Yankees on opening day on July 23rd. For all of you Tampa Bay Rays fans, it has been decided, the time has not been that the opening series for the Tampa Bay Rays will be the Toronto Blue Jays at Tropicana Field beginning July 24th. So I want to let you all know that. Now, as far as some baseball news, it came down today that three baseball players, um, Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross of the Washington Nationals and Mike Leake of the Diamondbacks, uh, Arizona Diamondbacks have opted out to play this year. Ryan Zimmerman said it is definitely not a retirement. He just had a brand newborn baby, and he didn't think it was worth the risk, which you have to understand that. You know, baseball went ahead, and they gave these players the option, and so far three of the players have decided to opt out, with one of them being... Ryan Zimmerman, and then the other two is Joe Ross and Mike Lee. Now, as far as the Minnesota Twins did today, what a great, great gesture by the Minnesota Twins. If you haven't heard yet, that they told um, their bullpen coach, Bob McClure, who's age 68 years old, and their quality, quality control coach, Bill Evers, that they can take the rest of the season off and they will go ahead and pay them their contract. What a great, great, great job by the Minnesota Twins looking out for their coaching staff who is a little bit older and at a higher risk. So a great, great, great job by them. Now as far as the Tampa Bay Rays go, we all mentioned already they'll open up for the versus the Blue Jays. They have unveiled their 60-man player pool. Major League is allowing them to have a 60-man player pool. They only gain time if they actually make the active roster. And they, this gives some of the younger guys who would not make the 30-man roster at the beginning of the season a chance to play a little baseball and stay in shape and develop with the team. So, good news there. Now, they kept 15 infielders, 10 outfielders, five catches, and 30 pitches. So that rounds up the 60. Now, they're going to have two training sites. 
One's going to be tra at Tropicana Field, and that's mainly going to be for the players that are going to make the 30-man roster, and the other 30 players are going to be at the spring training site in Port Charlotte, Florida. So once again, 30 and 30, they'll break that down. Um, like I said, they will gain service time only if they are added to the active roster. Now, for those of you people wondering, the first, you know, we're having a 60-game season, okay? And we talked a little bit about this on Friday night when we had the great Rich Hollenberg on. Um, but I want to let you know that last year in the first 60 games of the season, the Rays started out 37 and 23. 37 wins, they had 23 losses, and were one and a half games behind the New York Yankees, who had gotten off to an incredible start as well. So they have been known that they could go ahead and play a great 60-game stretch. Now, as far as the Rays go, this team has a lot of depth, and this is going to be a strange year. We have the COVID-19 going on. We don't know if a player on the Rays or any other team in Major League Baseball is going to contract this virus. But if they do, you got to remember, that individual player is going to be out 10 to 14 days. Um, you have to take it into account that we need depth. And this team probably has the best depth in Major League Baseball. And when we talked to Rich Hollenberg the other night, we talked about um, that pitching staff and the depth of this team and how, you know, we have an amazing pitching staff. When you look at Snell, Glass now, um, Morton, Yarbrough, Chirinos, and I didn't even include Brendan McKay yet. What an unbelievable starting six. Now, we're not going to go with six starting pitches, but you got to remember something. This is very good for us because not only do we have depth, we can also extend these arms a little bit longer. Not necessarily at the beginning of the season, but remember, usually when it comes to playoff times, you're on a real tight pitch count with these players because they've thrown so many innings over the long course of the year. Now you're not going to have to worry about that because they missed half the season, okay? And the other news that we broke, if you missed it on Friday, want to welcome Joey the Man to our show tonight. I see Joey's on there. He said, let's go Tampa Bay Buccaneers 2020 Super Bowl champs. Welcome, Joey. Welcome, Craig. Glad to see you all joining us this evening. But, you know, the one thing with the Rays this year is going to be that pitching staff is going to have to perform this year in order for them to win. And it's going to be important to have Alvarado and uh, Diego Castilla come back to the form that they are capable of, you know, showing, which they have in the previous years. If you're just joining us, and I see a number of people joining us right now, please do me a favor. It takes one second. Take one minute and go ahead and hit the share button on your timeline so all your friends can have the opportunity to see this show just like you do. We got a very special guest tonight. It is going to be Mark Leiter, the former Major League pitcher, pitched for uh, about seven or eight teams in his 11-year Major League career. He's going to be joining us in about seven minutes. We got a lot to talk about. You know, don't forget that Mark Leiter also 
um, is the brother of Outlider, who both of them have kids who are playing in the major league right now. So just an incredible, incredible story that you're about to hear in about seven minutes from now. Try to get this going a minute. There you go. So we got Mark Leiter there. I want to remind you, we'll go ahead and reveal it now. I was going to wait till after the uh, interview to reveal this, but we got some network breaking news. Um, as far as tonight goes, you already know Mark Leiter will be joining us. Tomorrow night, oh my goodness, it just keeps, I mean, I don't know if it can get any better than tonight, but my goodness, we'll do everything we can to make it happen. Tomorrow, the son, the grandson of Harry Carey, the son of uh, Skip Carey, we're going to have Chip Carey, who does the Atlanta Braves broadcasting, live on Frankly Speaking Sports. That's right. And then Wednesday night, Buccaneer Wednesday, where we move over to, as you can see, our Crew Life production crew. We are going to be handling Buccaneer Wednesday live on Crew Life, um, where you can watch it. If you're not a member, go ahead and join. You'll see me every night on there anyway. It seems like I'm on there all the time. Go ahead, and this Wednesday night, it is my great pleasure to announce that we will have WDAE radio host of the 12 to 3 show, Pat Donovan, will be joining us live on Buccaneer edition of Frankly Speaking Sports, and we will be talking a lot of Buccaneer football come this upcoming um, Wednesday night. Now, why we have five minutes before we get Mark Leiter on, you know, People were asking me, and we're going to talk a lot about the Cam Newton thing after the interview, but, you know, I want everybody to understand, there's a bigger battle in the NFL than to see who makes the Super Bowl this year. And it's called Belichick versus Brady. You know, Tom Brady wants to win. Tom Brady wants to prove that with the Buccaneers, he doesn't need Bill Belichick to win. And you know what? He's right. He probably doesn't need Bill Belichick. Now with this team he has, he has, and what Jason Light has put in place. But I'll tell you what, it is no surprise to me that Bill Belichick went out and signed Cam Newton. I've been saying it, you know, I was very surprised throughout the offseason. They hadn't made a move. I thought they would have went after Winston, but instead they went after Cam Newton. And we're going to talk in depth about Cam Newton and, you know, some of the issues that, you know, might happen in New England, you know, don't, I hope New England doesn't think just because Cam Newton's coming there that they have a chance again at the AFC East. That is a wide-open division, and we're going to talk about that, you know, the New England Patriots and Cam Newton and what he's bringing to that team and how it now affects Jared uh, Stidham and Brian Hoyer. Uh, Brian Hoyer, who has 11 years now in the NFL. So we'll talk about that um, after our interview tonight. Um, so we'll definitely do that. Also, we will be taking phone calls tonight. After the interview, if you want to call in, you want to talk some Buccaneer football, you want to talk some Tampa Bay Rays baseball, you can go ahead and do that. We gave you a phone number. Please wait till after the interview. 
That number is 479-553-7008. And also, if you'd like, you can leave a comment like Joey and Craig and some of the fans already have left. So we got about three minutes before the great Mark Leiter comes on. And, you know, for those of you that's saying, what's this crew life thing we've been talking about? Every Wednesday night, we are on Crew Life. I do a show on Buccaneer Wednesday. We talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The shows are based around the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, we get live interviews. Sometimes, like last week, we had former great Ricky Reynolds on the show. In future, we're going to try to get as many great players. We're going to try to get Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, uh, and all the other players, uh, Ronald Jones, we have messages out to all of them to try to get them on our show on Wednesdays. So, that happens Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Crew Life. And then if all of you didn't get to see the great show that Coach Marvin Bell does, he does it every Sunday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Coach Bell is on Crew Life. If you're, not, if you're a member of Friendly Speaking Sports and you're not a member of Crew Life, go ahead and join Crew Life. Takes two seconds. Not that I don't put it on mine because I put it on Frankly Speaking Sports as well. But go ahead and join. And if you're a member of Crew Life and you want to see some of these shows during the week, go ahead and just join Frankly Speaking Sports. We're all one. So we did want to let you know that that's going to happen in the upcoming week. So you got me Wednesday night talking Buccaneers and Coach Bell on Sunday night talking Buccaneers. And we're going to lead all the way up to Major League Baseball here. Uh, Major League Baseball starts on the 23rd. That week of the 23rd, we're going to try to get as many uh, Tampa Bay Rays guests as possible. Get us fired up for the season. We already had Rich Hollenberg on. We already had um, Dwayne Stats on. Uh, we had Rich Herrera on. We had Al Keck on. And, you know, we'll continue to stay in close contact with them as well to see if in the future, maybe, you know, during the season, we'll get some of them back on with us again. Well, let's go ahead. Let me uh, real quickly uh, get Mark's number so we can get Mark on the phone here. There it is. Hello. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is my great honor, thrill, and most of all, pleasure to introduce to you on the Frankly Speaking Sports Hotline. Please welcome former Major League pitcher, Mark Leiter. Mark, how you doing tonight? Frank, how you doing? We finally get to meet. I tell you what, you know, it, finally it happens. Uh, you know, it was funny. I was telling somebody today, I met your brother about when I was with the Yankees back in 88. I got to meet him, but never got to meet the rest of the family. So this is a big privilege for me to be able to talk to you as well. 
So thank you so uh, much for joining us. That's nice. Wait, wait. You you play with the Yanks or you work at, with the Yanks? I was working with the Yankees when your brother was a rookie. Oh, okay. Ah, uh, all right. Wow, 87, 80 back then, huh? Yeah, so I got to meet him and we talked a lot. I mean, not that he'd remember me or anything, but, you know, but we met. So great, great guy. Let me ask you this, Mark. Uh, Talk about the moment. You know, we're talking about, I remember your brother when he came up in the uh, major leagues. Uh, talk about the moment when you first got called up to the big league. Uh, just talk about the emotions and, you know, the feeling of all that hard work that you put into it to finally make it there. Wow. Boy, that's, the, that's my first question. That's the, that's the big one. Um, that's, you know, that's the most amazing feeling for any boy who's ever, won, who's ever played baseball, who ever dreamt to get to the big leagues. And then it happens. Um, and for me, I guess it was even crazier because I was out of baseball for three years. I was 22. I was, I was on the big league roster with the Orioles, made the 40-man roster. And mass, I, I blew out my rotator cuff. And I didn't pitch for three years. I was out of the game, actually. The Orioles released me. And um, so when I made a comeback in 89, I was an A-ball, 26 years old. And I uh, got to the big leagues the next year. I did really well quickly, got called up. So for me, being on the airplane, flying... Oh, in fact, when I got called up, we were in Pawtucket. And John Habian threw his glove at me. Remember Habian? From the... No, I'm not sure who that is. John, oh, he should. He's a Long Island guy. He played for Baltimore. He played with the Yankees in 90, 91, 92. Um, yeah, relief pitcher. John Habian out of uh, Long Island his whole life. He's been there his whole life. But anyway, I walk in the locker room. He fires his glove at me. I'm like, what the hell's going on, man? So I go into the office, and uh, when they told me, I didn't believe it. I'm like, man, don't be messing with me like this. I can't believe this. And then they said, you're going to Texas. I said, I was traded, and but... The Yankees were playing Texas, and I didn't even know who the hell the Yankees were playing and just kind of paying attention to our own schedule. And so flying over the stadium and seeing that stadium, it really hit me that, holy crap, after everything I've been through, all the surgeries, working at uh, Ocean County Jail as a corrections officer, um, and I'm actually going to go be in a Yankee uniform tomorrow. And the next day after that, Nolan Ryan was going for his first uh, attempt at number 300. It was against Dave LaPointe, and he didn't get it. But that whole weekend, boy, that's amazing. That whole weekend was just crazy because the fans were going nuts just because they couldn't wait to see Nolan pitch the second night. And I got in both of those games. And to walk on the mound the second night, um, knowing that Nolan Ryan two innings earlier was standing on that same mound growing up in New Jersey, you know, the Mets, the Yankees, and, and just loving pitching with Seaver. And whenever Ryan would come in with the Angels, that was amazing. Amazing crazy oh i could imagine and uh you know let me ask you this when you came you know obviously you start off with the yankees you know the team that has probably the most tradition of any team in the major leagues who was the guy if any that you know took you under their wing when you first got there and really showed you oh. the ropes oh go go get into the big league of uh, a uh, player teammate you're saying yeah you know um yeah, that's a good question. It wasn't one person. And I was only up for two weeks the first call-up. Mike Witt ended up coming off the DL. And uh, I went down for the next couple of weeks. We had the playoffs in AAA, and then we got called back up in September. But in that time, 
you know, I did what you're supposed to do. I, I, you know, I kept my mouth shut and really didn't say a damn word to anybody. And because of that, I guess guys like Andy Hawkins and Dave LaPointe, mm-hmm. Bergetti, they were just all really nice to me. I mean, they were, any, you know, they, they were willing to help you give you the, they were good. They were, they were all excellent. So just, just, um, that short experience with the Yankees and those guys was fantastic. There were a couple of guys in the bullpen that were kind of peckerhead, but <laughs> that was their personality. Um, but the Tigers, my three years there, being around Bill Gullickson, Walt Terrell, Frank Tanana, that was uh, that was amazing. That was amazing to get to watch a guy like Frank Tanana go from a flamethrower, dominating left-hander, to a guy that I admit I was embarrassed that I used to think this. You'd see him when you're in the minor leagues and you're throwing gas, and you see a guy like Tanana, you're like, what the hell is this guy even doing in the big leagues? And then I was his teammate, and I loved watching Tanana pitch. He did shit on the mound you would just you'd be afraid to do. You'd think, like, someone's going to freaking hit a ball out of his day. He just tricked hitters for all those years throwing, what, 83 after being a flamethrower? Um I really, I had so much respect and enjoyed watching a, a guy like that. And then Bill Gullickson, unselfish. I remember he was working on a palm ball, and uh, he had a shutout going late in the game, and he just started throwing the palm ball. Screw the shutout. He wanted to learn the palm ball. He was at the end of his career. He just won 21 games. I think he won 21 that year in 91, so in 92. So here was a guy doing something like that and unselfishly not caring about the shutout and went to let me practice this palm ball that I've been working on in the bullpen. Because um, he definitely, I believe, lost the, sh- lost the shutout. But I remember being very impressed that, damn, man, he don't give a shit. He's got the win. He wants to, you know, still better himself. You know, so being around guys like that were, um, that was that was really awesome for a young guy early in his career. And I wasn't really a young guy. I was a young guy in the uniform, but, shit, I was 27 when I first got called up. That's not a young guy anymore, you know? Well, and then you went on to play 11 years, obviously. So, you know, you, you played a lot of years in the major leagues. Let me ask you this. How was it having a brother that played in the major leagues at the same exact time as you did? Um, obviously, it's fantastic. But let me, let me just let that process through my head. And I got I to gotta tell you, if I sound a little tired, I drove straight from New Jersey Michigan to be um, with my son Coleman to bring him back to New Jersey. So I'm on like zero hours sleep. And uh, so I apologize if I sound tired because I am exhausted. So I'm sorry for that. All right. So, uh, Al, it was amazing. But but here's the thing. By the time I got called up, like it happened so fast. Here I'm out of the game for three years. When I was a flamethrowing prospect, I should have been released. I sucked in 1984. I was 8-13. I had and. 100 and, I don't know, 105, 108, 110 walks in 139 innings and about the same amount of strikeouts. If I didn't have a good arm, I would have been released. It's one of the things I taught my son. If you have two bad games back-to-back, you might be getting released in rookie ball. You don't throw gas. You're not 6'9". You're a great pitcher, so you keep pitching. That's what he does. He's not, he, he, you know, he's not, he doesn't throw 98 miles an hour. But anyway, um, so it happened fast when I got there, so there really wasn't time... I felt like I had to impress quickly, but our first time together, he was with the Blue Jays, and I getting called up at the and thanks to Dave Rigetti. So we're on the field talking together, and Rigetti came over, and it was the first time we're in big league uniforms. You know, I always ask this question. That's a great question, like because you got me thinking about it now, and I don't think I've ever talked about this to anybody 
I don't know that this has ever been asked. So I'm thinking of it, uh, how that was, and it was amazing. And if it wasn't for Dave Brigetti coming over saying, hey, man, somebody's got to get a picture of it. And our mom was behind the backstop. So we got oh, Al and I wow. and my mom at the Sky Dome. It was in September, and we were both in the big leagues at the same time. And it was awesome, but we kind of expected it at one point in our career. We figured we were both going to be there. I mean, I was on a 40-man roster before he was. Um, so it was, like, great, and also, well, this is what we've not only dreamt of, but worked for. Everybody dreams of it, but worked for. So, yeah, that, was, uh, that really was a special moment. That's funny, because I don't really think about that a lot. That's standing behind the uh, home plate, right by the backstop there, you know, so that my mom could come down, our mother. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty damn special. And then, of course, as our career went on, uh, it was awesome because we did, you know, you could scout, do scouting reports. If he was pitching against, um, like in the American League, I know I, I, Cleveland comes to mind because they were always so good. And one of the things we always want to know is who's hot. I don't care if the guy's you know, one of the best players in the league at these struggling right now, we're right. lucky that we're here, you know, or, or if a weak player is doing really good, you want to know that, so I don't want to take him for granted, the number seven or eight hitter, um, who you normally would get out, but you're not paying attention that he's been hot lately, you know, so Alan and I would, you know, talk about that. Um, now, it, when we talk to each other, we rarely, we didn't really give big scouting reports on the day we were thrown against our own teams, but yes, we did talk about it a little. And I'll tell you two quick stories. Shirley uh, Davis and um, Matt Williams. The Matt Williams one was actually was the second one, but um, Matt Williams comes up to me, right up to my chest, boom, we're right there, and he looks right in my eyes, and he goes, points his finger, he goes, I know you talked to your brother about how to pitch us, and I don't care. What I care about is what you tell him about me. Hmm. And I, you know, yeah, I laughed. I'm like, all right, fair enough, Matt. I said, I told Al and this is all I told out, is if there's a man in scoring position, don't throw Matty a strike. He'll get himself out. He's, he's going to do whatever to knock in the run. And he goes, thank you. And he walked away. So I ran in the locker room. I said, called the guy on the phone. I called over to the other locker room. I said, Al, I had to tell Matt. I felt a little threatened. He asked me what I told you, and I told him. I said, so throw him strikes if there's men in scoring position. And then the other one was Chili Davis, which was really brutal on uh, what Chili made me do. Um... I, I say, he can't catch up to the fastball. Chili, you know, I just don't see you catching up to my brother's fastball. I, I, I was saying that to Al. So Al, Chili comes up to me and he goes, well, right, you know, what'd you tell your brother about me? And so, you know, same thing. I'm like, he's my teammate, so he's asking. I'm going to tell him, but I'm also going to let Al know. So Chili strikes out like his first couple at bat. Al's just blowing him away. And Chili and I, we got along great. We were, you know, I considered him one of my favorite teammates. We, it was such a fun year being with those angels, those guys. There were so many good guys. But uh, anyway, Chili, Al blows him away two times, right? He gets up and Chili's like not even looking at me. That's why I said we got along great. Now he's like, I know he's pissed. He's pissed at me because I told him what I told Al was going to do to you, and he did it and still struck your ass up. So... He gets up the third time, and Al freaking like, hangs a slide or some shit. Chili hits a three-run homer. So as Chili's round in third, he's looking at me in the dugout, and he's got something on his mind, right? So he lands the home plate. He starts coming to the dugout, and uh, he stops everybody, like, halfway to the dugout. You know, everybody's walking to the Anaheim. Everybody's walking down the high five, right? And I'm the very, very last. I got to go, you know, I got to shake my teammate's hand. And so 
Shirley tells everybody, stop, lighter. <laughs> he makes me, come, now remember how Anaheim, there were no, you know, no railings or anything, just come right out of the steps, right? He makes me come out of the steps, walk all the way down to the batter's box area where he was standing to high-five him, but one hand wasn't good enough. He made me put two hands up so that Al would see. It was kind of awesome on Chili's part to do that to me, but I was like, I felt like such a dick. I'm like, oh my, am I, oh, did I just, can I say that? I just said the D word. That's all right. <laughs> so, uh, but he made me do a double, you know, give him a high-five up top, and Al standing on the mound after the game. Oh, and then Chili comes to the deck and he goes, man, what a dumbass. He had me all day with the high heater. But it was funny. Chili made me do that. But but I, I say that's no stories because of one, you're a rookie with your brother. It's one thing as we grew older in our career and had more established time. You had a lot more fun, too. You know, you could enjoy. You knew you were safe. You knew how to work hard. You know you had a career. Your career's it, it's working. So you enjoy a lot of times together. Um you know, off the field, on the field, just, just being teammates. Spring training together in 2001, that was one of my favorite spring trainings ever. I ended up getting traded, but we were together in spring training uh, with the Mets in 01, and that was a blast. It really was, because I also played with my brother Kurt, who played, got as high as double-A, and Kurt and I were roommates in 1984 in, in uh, A-ball. So that was pretty special, and then at least spring training with Al was uh, a good five weeks, six weeks before I got traded. I got traded the last week of season there. Yeah, now let me ask you this. I mean, yeah, in 98, you know, when you were with the Phillies, I know you became, uh, that year you were predominantly a relief pitcher, and I know you started plenty of games in your career as a pitcher. Tell our listeners about the different mindset between a starting pitcher and a relieving pitcher and for you, even though you had done it some in the past, was it a difficult transition for you? Well, I, I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound cocky, but no, not that I was great at it, but no, um, because I was a, a setup guy in '94, which is one of the proudest things, seasons I ever had. Um, and I'm not bragging when I say this; but I was very proud of it. I was second. Uh, in the majors, first in the American League, an inherited runner stranded. 88% did not score. I love being a setup guy. Because every day you go to the park, you might be in there. If the game's tied, you're in there. If you're down by two, you're in there. Keep it close. If you're up by two, get us to the, get us to the closer. So I love being a setup guy. And then in 95, I signed with the Giants. And um, I signed with the Giants. And, uh, sorry. I'm at a campground. The dog just pooped over here in front of us and caught me off guard. Um, I saw, and it, Dusty puts me in the rotation, and I didn't want to be in the rotation because I love being a setup guy. And he's like, we got Dave Burby and Rod Beck. We need a number five starter. And that was my best season ever as a starter, and it was awesome. Dusty was just a great guy to play for. He wanted to be out there playing every day and and. When he was pissed at you, he'd get in your face, and you can go in his office and fight back with him, and it was never held against you. He was just awesome in every area, every area. So um, I ended up having the best year of my career and ended up starting opening day the next year. So now I go to I have a few years in the rotation. I go to Philly in 97, and I stuck for two months. Unfortunately, it was such a crappy two months that I did pretty good in the second half. I mean, I think I was like, I don't know what, I know I, I ended up 10 and 17, but I was like 2 and 10 at the All-Star break. So 
whatever it was, it was ugly. I don't, I don't even remember, but it was really bad. So the next year, Garrett Stevenson gets my job, and I, um, they put me in a bullpen as the setup guy for Metallica. And I was happy. I was, I was going to the park every day, and then Ricky gets hurt, and I get the closer's job. And I didn't really want it because, um, well, we, we didn't have a great team, and so Schilling was a stud, and he wasn't, I think I only got two, maybe two or three saves, I would bet, when he started. He was not coming out of games. So the one guy that I could have got some saves and pitched, um, it hardly ever happened. He was going after 300, and Schilling had a tremendous year. He struck out, what, 300, whatever, I don't even know how many, um, in 97. No, I'm sorry, 98. So if you take Schilling away, there weren't a whole lot of save opportunities. And so one day, one of my favorite teammates, Mike Lieberthal, were playing the Pirates. I'm going in for the save, the scores, whatever it was, it was a safe situation. Maybe in the bottom of the eighth, it's a three-run homer. My first re- and this is one of my favorite teammates. My first reaction was, you got to be shitting me. I was pissed because now I knew I wasn't going to pitch. I just wanted to pitch. I didn't give a shit if we were winning by 10 or losing by 10. So, Lieber thought it's a home run. And my first reaction was, I wasn't happy for him. I was mad that I don't get to pitch. And I felt so terrible that after the game, I went to uh, ask Frank Cohn. I said, I don't want to be a coach. Give it to somebody else. He's like, what? I said, man, I was upset when, when my friend hits a home run because you didn't pitch me. You told me to sit down. I said, I just want to pitch, Terry. I said, I don't care whether we're winning or losing. I just want to be on the mound. And so on a team that's not the Atlanta Braves or the New York Yankees or whatever, it, you know, it just it wasn't that much fun. So the mindset... You know, being a setup guy to me is more was more pressure because they're bringing you in games with men in scoring position. It's first and third. Get out of the jam in the eighth inning so we can get it to our closer. How about bringing the closer in to get out of the jam? So the setup guy job was a lot of fun. It was a lot, I thought, a lot more pressure. Now, I don't know what it's like to pitch in the World Series as one of those guys because I never did it. But just as a regular ball player in regular games, which, to be honest with you, you're pretty amped up for every game anyway. You know, adrenaline rush. You, I always had the butterflies as a start or whatever. But um, the whole, so the starting, the, uh, the, 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 the transition to me, and I had kind of a rubber arm, although I guess maybe I didn't because my arm now, I can't even lob a freaking whiffle ball across the room after throwing with Mark this offseason, and I need another surgery. It's fixed rotator cuffs, and I need a seventh one. So maybe I do too much. I don't know. But no, I didn't see a big transition there. Now, talk about your son a little bit. You get to see him now as a dad go through the, you know, similar process, make, and he makes the major leagues. You know, not only did, did it bring back memories for you, but how was it now looking through it as a dad seeing your son make it to the major leagues? Uh, yeah, it's amazing. You know, he was an underdog and just constantly proving people wrong with how well he pitched. So when he got, yeah, it was, that was something special. When he got drafted, we didn't know if he was going to get drafted. We went out and played golf on the third day of the draft. Um, you know, I know he had some big games. He punched out 20 in a college game, 14, 13. So I knew he, I know he could pitch. There were scouts that would say, you know, his big challenge would be the Lakewood Blue Claws or uh, low A or whatever. And I thought, bullshit. I wouldn't say to the scouts, I'm like, his challenge is going to be double A, triple A. Can he be consistent? But like any guy, any anybody who's going to move up, you got to, you know, you got to prove it at those levels. 
So um, we didn't know if he was going to be drafted because, again, he wasn't a flamethrower. And uh, we were golfing when our phones started blowing up that the Phillies took him in the 22nd round. And we grew up Mets fans as kids, but we loved the Phillies as well because it was only an hour and 10 minutes from our house. So we used to like the Mets, but we also liked the Phillies. So the only time I didn't root for the Phillies was when the Mets were playing the Phillies. Um, so the fact that the Phillies drafted him even made it more special. Uh, it was crazy. So when he got his call up, and he was always the last guy out, rookie ball, like all the college, other guys, the bonus babies, because Mark only got $1,000. That was his signing bonus, and he earned every penny of working his way to the big leagues. Hopefully everything can start resuming so he can get back there. But um, he was always like, everybody would get called up to A ball first. And then everybody had him, he got to double A. Except he got to the big leagues with only, I think, three other guys from that that have stuck from that draft were uh, uh, J.P. Crawford, mm-hmm. the backup, and then Matt, the Phillies backup, and Mark. So... Here, he was the guy that didn't get any money or anything, and he just kicked all our asses and just kept doing what he had to do. So I say all that because it was very emotional for us. Um, you know, the, uh, my career ended when he was in his last year of Little League, so I, have, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't miss a game of his his whole life. So um, when he got called up, my reaction was the same as when the managers told me. When Rick Down and Kenny Rowe told me, I, and Cleet Boyer said I was going to the big leagues in Pawtucket, I looked at them and I said, right out of my mouth, the first reaction was, don't F with me. <laughs> and they just all laughed. So Mark calls me up, and he says, Dad, I'm going to, uh, they were playing the Mets. I just got called up, and I said, this, I froze, and I said the same exact thing to him, like, don't, you know, thinking he's just messing with me. So, yeah, that was, um, that was crazy exciting. And I remember uh, getting to the game. My daughter, uh, uh, Kaylee, came pick me up, so we went to the game. And I went out to the bullpen, I asked the security guy if I could go down. I had to tell him who I was. I said, hey, I've never done this, but I just want to go tell my son something right there. And he goes, oh, go ahead, Mark. He goes, I remember, I know who you are. So he lets me go down there, and I just yelled down to him. Not that he didn't know, but I just wanted to remind him one more time, like, how he's always pitched his whole life. I just kind of pointed to the whole stadium. I said, none of this shit matters. It's 60 feet, 6 inches, just like at home. That's it. Just do what you've done, you know? You take it all in, and the rest of it doesn't matter. It's just a stadium. It's just people hanging out, drinking beer, eating hot dogs, watching the game. You're focused on the mound to the catcher, 60 feet, 6 inches, just like in my backyard where I have my bullpen where I do my pitching lessons. I tell those kids all the time, whether you're here at Yankee Stadium, it's 60 feet, 6 inches. The rest of it is just all smoking mirrors, man. We are talking to Mark Leiter, the um, former Major League pitcher. Mark, before I get into the pitching lessons, I want to ask you this uh, question. Um, as a parent, with your son, you know, going back, you know, now to play baseball, how much does it worry you with this epidemic that's going on? Well, you know what? People who need to stay home, stay home. Players don't want to play, don't play. People who want to live their lives, live their lives. There's, you know, there's no right answer to that. Everybody's going to, no matter what you say, you know, some people will get pissed off, some will get mad at you, whatever. You know, live your life the way you need to live it, man. So I don't, I'm not worried about my son. He, he can, he's a big boy. He'll kick my ass. So if he wants to go play, you know, I tell my wife, if I drop dead of Corona, just know that I wouldn't change a damn thing. I, I, I do my lessons, and I, nobody wants to die of anything, but we're all going to die. I've got strong faith in God and the heavens above. 
Um, maybe I'll be somewhere in between that's nicer than this shithole that we're living in right now in this country, but um, he, Mark's a big boy, man. He can take care of himself. Now, you, you know? teach pitchers, obviously. And I was going to get into that in a little bit with you, but um, what is your philosophy as someone that teaches um, you know, young kids and stuff how to pitch about them learning too many pitches at a young age? I teach, uh, I teach every kid the same as I taught my son. I've got boys that have been coming to me so long, and I love them like my, own, my, my, my children. They're just great kids, and I wouldn't risk any of their arms. So like my son, I taught him a curve at 12 years old, but he wasn't allowed to throw it in a game until what I was preparing for. You know, we, we lived in Tom's River then, so Tom's River, you know, that baseball in that area is always a big deal with um, the Little League World Series and all that stuff. So he had a perfect 12, you know, he had a very good curve, but I just didn't want to throw it in games. I didn't want his coach to know. I told his coach he doesn't throw a curve. He just throws a change-up. He's got two change-ups, four-seam, two-seam, bank a little bit, and then four-seam fastball, two-seam fastball. Just learn to pitch in and out. At that age, I mean, you know, how great are you going to be? So, for me, it was always about pitching inside. If you don't pitch inside, you're not going to be successful. Right. So, he wouldn't get strikeouts, and it would bum him out, because the other kids up with the nasty curves that all peaked at about 83 miles an hour, and they were all through harder than my son. There was a good handful of kids that threw harder than my son in Little League. Um, he caught him and passed them all by the time he was a senior in high school. The rest of them were all studs and all that stuff, but uh, they peaked too early. So they'd be punching out 10 guys a game. Mark would strike out four. And he'd have some of his, you know, some of the games. So then once the playoff started, I let him throw you know, six curves the first playoff game, eight the next one. What I was doing was getting him ready for All-Stars. So now once you're in All-Stars, your curve's going to be ready, you know, game ready for with batters. But I wouldn't let him do it because I see too many guys, coaches that – they all say they care, and maybe deep down they really think they do care and they think they're doing what's best. But you got 11 and 12 year old kids throwing off nasty ass. Look at Williamsport, nasty ass. I'm jealous of some of those sliders I see in those games. But you don't see any of those Little League World Series pitchers making it to the major leagues as pitchers. You got your hitters. Todd Fisher was a great hitter and pitcher in Little League, but he ain't in the big leagues as a pitcher. Um, Carney Lansford, I don't know how many of them are. They're not the pitchers. So I think of a lot of dads and uh, coaches are to blame for kids' arms because, of course, a kid wants to throw it. There's nothing nastier. But you're going to start doing that. So, no, I didn't let my son. And so I teach kids the same way. I teach them the curve when they're going into their last year of Little League. If they want to learn it before that, then they can go take their kids to someone else if they want. I'm going to teach you the change-up because my change-up sucked in the big leagues. I stopped throwing it for a football. But when I realized the longer I played, I looked at all the teams I was on. And I always noticed the best pitchers on the teams always had great change-ups. So, when my son was pitching, I made sure I talked to guys, hey, all the guys. Paige, I played with 15, how many teams did I played on? Jesus, I played on every one of them. So I saw a lot of great change-ups. Mark Portugal would throw, he threw 11 in a row one time. 11 change-ups in a row. Um, I was going to teach my son a good change-up. So I got all the grips and now he's even perfected it more than that as he's playing. And so I teach the kids about that stuff. And obviously the mechanics comes first. Before any pitches, if you're not throwing the ball right, um, that you got to address all that stuff. So the, the, all the, and not only that, it doesn't take long to teach a kid how to throw a curve properly, a slider, especially when you're hands on and you really, you know, you got these coaches, this coach's eye that you can use. It's just you can teach kids in, in, in a, some kids less than almost some kids in a freaking week they pick it up. Honestly, it's amazing sometimes. The high school kids, you know, I'll go to the cutter, so I'll teach them slider curve, but I still recommend when I have high school kids. 
sinker, four seamer, a couple of change ups, and pick one breaking ball. You don't need the curve and slider. I like to teach them both. But don't use them both. Just now you're starting to prepare for college and moving on. Because if I get kids that are throwing 85 or better, and they have chances of throwing 90 and better in college and getting drafted one day, you don't want to be throwing a shitload of curves and sliders in high school games when you might have a big league arm someday. I bet you there's a lot of guys that could have made it that they never they never reached it because of the injuries of using their arm yep. as uh, mm-hmm. high school kids. No, I agree 100% with that. Let me ask you this, Mark. I know you, and you mentioned it. A couple more questions before we let you run here. Um, when, you, when you recognize, and I'm sure you have, I mean, you obviously know how to judge talent, and you see a high school kid that has the ability in your eyes to be something special, let's just put it that way, after his high school career. You know, a lot of people will teach him mechanics and teach him things, but I always ask, you know, the great pitchers like yourself that teach. Do you teach them about the road to the MLB as well? And what I mean by that is, you know, there's high school to college. Everybody in high school is a stud. Once you go to college, you realize there's a hell of a lot more studs than just yeah. you. Then you go to, from college to the minors, and you realize that the minors ain't all what it's cut out to be. There's not a lot of money in it unless you make a good signing bonus and you take a lot of bus rides and then you go to the major leagues and sometimes it for these kids especially when we're talking 18 year old kids they become overwhelmed and they stop playing and just that do you teach them about the psyche of the game of what to expect at the next levels yeah you know what damn man you good larry hey larry by the way are you related to ken frank that Great times of South high school baseball coach in New Jersey. No, everybody <laughs> asks me that too. No, I mean maybe no. somewhere in the family tree, but I don't know. Yeah, one of not only the greatest coach, but one of the, the, the greatest human beings. Boy, he would have been a great uh, manager in the major leagues, any level. That guy, he's fantastic. I meant to ask you that earlier. Boy, I'll tell you what. Yeah, you're good. I love everything that you'd like to bring up there. It's fantastic. Um, that's, a, that's, that's my favorite part of doing lessons. Um, you know, I have a boy, Alex Galvan, right now. He's hitting 94. He's going to go to uh, Louisville. Johnny Fauci at uh, St. John University um, throws gas. He, was, he, he, he wasn't drafted, but uh, he, they talked money with San Diego. Uh, the kid is outstanding. But I was glad he didn't sign because he was offered quite a bit of money. It, it wouldn't be for me to say how much, but it was a nice, nice penny, and he wasn't going to take it, so they didn't, they didn't draft him. And I'm glad. But I got to watch him in his state championship game, and um, I saw him doing things that uh, he needed to work on. And it's the emotional part of the game. So if you sign out of high school and and your emotions aren't right, you're not matured in that area, baseball wise. You're going to spend two years in rookie ball. Then you're going to go off to the New York Penn League. By the time you get to high A, all these guys are coming out of the nice universities and they're meeting you there, and they're on their way to double A. And you've already got three years of bullshit rookie ball. Not that it's bullshit, but, you know, you don't want to be there for two years, for God's sake. You want to get to double A where the shit's really happening. You're starting to move quick. So um, I talk a lot about, um, and I'm proud of Alex because you know, he was a raw talent. He caught a lot, but he always came with He would catch his older brother that came to me, and their dad brings their younger one, too. So I've worked with all three of them. And the younger one's going to be a super stud, too. He's only going to be a sophomore. He's going to be throwing gas. But anyway, I said to Alex, listen, you have a good time. You talk a lot of trash, and I like it. Um, but you don't know how to pitch, and you have the arm. 
So you're going to be one of those ding-dongs who got a nice signing bonus and you never got out of A-ball. You spent five years in A-ball because you just threw gas and couldn't fit. And boy, his, I, I expect him to really be great because all we worked on is the pitching in and out, up and down, counts. It's changed. Everything is looking good. He's, he's on pitch. But, yeah, so if I get to talk to him about, do you know what you're going to be when you get to, you know, high A? It's just going to be another arm, man. There's going to be a ton of guys like you. You might be, you know, not that he acts like he's shit, but, you know, you're doing 894 in high school, for God's sake. You're doing pretty damn good. Um, that you're nothing. Until you get a big, fat major league check, not a signing bonus, a major league check, and you're hanging out in the big leagues and you realize you're there, that's when you've done something. Until then, you've done nothing. And the minute you think you have, that's when these other guys come up like my son and pass your sorry ass. And I keep it honest with the kids. Now, some kids I wouldn't talk, you know, if they're a little more sensitive, I'll be easier on them. But the, the boys, I talk to them like they're my, they were my teammates back in, in pro ball or whatever. That's what, if that's what your goal And the dads appreciate it. I'm not going to lie to these kids. I ain't going to tell you the kid's great at drugs. We need a lot of work. I'm not, you know, I charge $65 for lessons. I don't need you to come to my house if, if you know you want me to tell your kid's great. You know what I mean? Because that ain't going to help him. Because eventually he's going to realize he's not great, and we did him an injustice by acting like he was real good at 12 and 13. Because I get kids that are good at 12. They short-armed, or not short-armed, they throw all-armed, there's no finish. You know, there's very few um, Chris Sales. When people want to bring up a guy like that, okay, there's always the Billy Wagner who's like fired out of his ear at a hundred, legit hundred back in the day. You ever listen to him in the Astrodome? Him and Dwight Gooden were the only two I ever heard the ball. <laughs> you know, going to home plate, that was awesome. Um, you know, so there's always those guys that, you know, like I say, there's always that, that grandfather who lived in 96 and he was smoking three packs a day and drinking a bottle of scotch. You know, but it's not the way to go. Right. You know? Now let me say this, before I let you go, Mark, Talk a little bit, and you already did, but talk about the lighter advantage pitching lessons and how you got started in it. I mean, you obviously love working with kids, but I want to make sure I give you a little bit of time to, you know, talk about that and just explain to everybody that's listening what that is and how you got started with it. <laughs> that's fantastic. I'm happy to answer that. I don't know if anybody ever asked me that either. It happened by accident. I was, um, for actually for Kenny Frank's brother, Bill Frank, they asked me to uh, go speak at one of their, um, their two week, they do, uh, baseball camps every summer. So a gentleman came over to me and said, Hey, I have a group of kids. Um, you want to help me work with them one day? And I thought, you know what? I'm not doing anything. This was shortly after my, only a couple of years after my career. Cause I've been doing lessons a long time now. I didn't just kind of flew by like everything else in life. So I said, you know what? Yeah, why not? So I show up at the Blue Claws, and he had like 30 kids there. I'm like, are you shitting me, man? I think you said you had a few kids here. This is like insane. And so I'm supposed to be there if he asked me to stay for an hour. I said, an hour? And so I said, what the hell am I going to do in an hour? You want me to look at them pitches? Because, yeah, they're just going to throw a few pitches. I ended up being there for like almost four hours. I'm not just going to – first of all, you put my name at the Mark Weyer's going to be here, and I don't – I mean – I didn't owe anybody anything. It was just like, well, I don't want people to walk away going, well, what a piece of crap. That was what Bud Lighter did, because this dude gave me like $100. And he, he, he apparently made a killing. I guess he was charging her 50 bucks. I just thought he said a few kids, you know? Like, I thought I was going to show up there was going to be six kids there or something, three or four kids. So, but here's what I got at. So he's like, well, you got to speed it up. you got to speed it up. I said, the kids are still four pitches. What do you want me to tell them? 
What the hell am I going to say to a kid after four pitches? He's not even lose, for God's sake. You told me you had a few kids, man. But I ended up staying there because I, I liked some of the kids right out of the gate, like nice boys, quiet kids, but I could see they needed. And I, 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 so I liked that. I was pissed at the guy for what he did, but I said, boy, even though I was stressed in the beginning, I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to embarrass my name while my, while my brother's still playing, and people are going to say, oh, oh, yeah, Mark Leiter showed up at this thing and didn't do shit for anybody. Meanwhile, I didn't even get paid. So I decided I'm just going to be here all freaking night. I got I to let these kids throw at least 20 pitches, just have something to say. So I was there that long. And um, after that, a bunch of people were trying to contact me, saying, hey, are you going to do lessons? I said, no, I don't do lessons. That was just doing it for that guy. They said, well, would you work with my kid? And then I started thinking about it. Well, what the hell else am I going to do? So that's how I got started. And I only did it a little bit. Um, and I just, you know, if it's in you, it's in you. That's where I was kind of, if, if you like the game, if you love the game, you can go teach at a, a freaking, in a park somewhere with some kid playing catch. That's why these guys that, they feel like, oh, I love to give to the major leagues, that I should be in a major league uniform. And, and, and what, if you have a lot to give to baseball, why do you have to have a major league uniform on to give it? You can go give it to some kid down the street playing catch in his yard if you see him do it so long if you love the damn game so much. And there's 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 guys that you can guess what I'm talking about. Like that, you know, they'll say that. It just blows my mind. Like, that's bullshit. Your ego wants to be on TV and your ego needs that uniform on or whatever. You can go coach anywhere. So that's how I fell in love with it, doing it. And um, plus my son would be with me throwing all the time. And I had him, by the time he was, in ninth grade, I had him doing lessons with the little kids with me. So what he didn't realize I was doing was by him teaching the kids, he was constantly reminding himself. He was studying the mechanics every time we did lessons. Every time I got young kids, Mark, he'd take those kids. So by the time he was in high school, you know, he, his, his, his mechanics were set. Everything, it, it was good. And it was all about, not, you know, first of all, I loved our bonding time that we got to do that, you know. But, um... It was, it was me knowing it's like studying. You study in school, you're going to get good grades. You don't study, you'd be like me. Your grades would be average at best. But when it came to baseball, that's a different story because that's what a passion is, so that's what we studied. We studied Tom Saver, we, you know, like all the guys did back in our day. Um, so my son was doing it while he was doing lessons, and I loved that part of uh, doing lessons as well. And now um, I just love just talking shit with the kids. I mean, I treat them like... Like I said, I treat him like my own son. If I got to get on a kid and give him a hard time in a fun way, I do it. Um, I won't do it to kids who are, like I said, that uh, might not be the same arena as some of them, but it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. All right, my friend. I want to thank you so much for joining us on Frankly Speaking Sports today, buddy. Well, listen, you were great, Barry. I enjoyed it very much. All right, buddy. Be safe, okay? You too. Take care. All right, you too.